It truly is a privilege for me to be able to minister to you on such an important subject as no condemnation, none. As a minister of the gospel for almost 35 years and one who has been involved in counseling ministry as well, I've come to see that millions, literally millions, have been affected in the context of this area, affected by condemnation. The Bible says that when Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. I want to commend you for taking the time to watch this video, to listen to these CDs, whatever the case may be. I believe in my heart that God's going to meet you wherever you are. First of all, I want to tell you, don't have condemnation for struggling with condemnation. I mean, the devil will do everything he can to try to come into your life in this area. So that's the first thing I want you to see. God is so excited about you taking the time, taking the effort, seeking him in this area. So first of all, don't be condemned about feeling condemned. Second, I want you to understand this. This subject is so close to the Father's heart. And I believe because of that, there's going to be such an anointing that comes forth to you that it will certainly be life-changing. Lastly, I want you to understand that God's going to meet you where you're at. You're not someone that's atypical. You're not in a situation of struggling with condemnation if you are indeed, because you may be uh, entering into this teaching to help others. But if you are, God understands where you're at. He's not here to judge you. He's here to help you, praise God. And I want you to understand as well that your victory is not dependent on your ability, but it's dependent on the heart of God in his ability. Amen. Well, that's quite an introduction. Again, our first session is going to be entering into the freedom that God has ordained for us in the context of this area of condemnation. Our second session, we're going to enter into a uh, powerful teaching entitled El Elyon, the God who lifts up. It, it really, it's an amazing teaching because it's one of the amazing names of God. Our, our third teaching is going to be on how to perceive yourself accurately, how to enter into a place of perceiving others as well in an accurate manner. And lastly, we're going to look at how Jesus integrated the reality of who he was in regards to being confirmed according to who he was. And then share a number of testimonies of other people in different scenarios so you can practically integrate uh, this teaching into your life. I, I tell you, I've done a lot of teaching over the last 35 years, but I believe that this is one of the most significant teachings that I've ever done. I tell you, again, I'm so excited about it. Let's just pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lose your heart. We lose your love. We lose your power. And Father God, we confess our dependency upon you that we might walk in the fullness of freedom from condemnation and enter into the truth of being accepted in the beloved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's start off uh, very simply with a definition of, of what condemnation entails. I wrote down uh, five variables in the context of this definition. One, I put down that it is condemnation is the assuming of guilt that is not your own. 
it is the assuming of guilt that is not your own. Second, it is degradation. Third, it is oppression. Fourth, it is a false necessity of serving a sentence or judgment when sentence has already been served. And we will enter into just uh, elaborate on that. And lastly, it's a state of perceiving rejection due to a wrongful act that has been committed by an individual. Again, the last one is a state of perceived rejection due to a wrongful act that has been committed. Let me give you some examples. I'm going to uh, give the uh, different examples in, in, uh, under the auspices of sexual sin. Then I'm going to give uh, examples under the auspices of one who has hurt another. And, and lastly, uh, in the category where one has hurt himself. Sexual sin, obviously, is, is so prevalent in our society. And the devil will do everything he can to get you to think it's not that bad. And then once we've entered into sexual sin of any type, he will then tell us how bad it really is because he is a deceiver. Let, let me share uh, three examples under this uh, category. I, I've counseled literally hundreds and hundreds uh, of individuals who have struggled uh, in the area of condemnation due to entering into some type of sexual sin. I I'll never forget uh, a, a precious young girl. She was uh, 20 years old, uh, a strong Christian. And uh, she was somebody that just, she was devastated uh, from uh, her entering into uh, sexual sin uh, due to uh, her really, uh, the high morality that she kept. And, and when she came into my office for counseling, uh, she displayed, uh, she just wasn't confident. She didn't see herself as worthy of receiving from God. She had absolutely no peace. And we know that peace is part of the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17 says that God wants you to see that you're righteous and enter into peace and joy accordingly. And, and she was on medication as a, a number of people are who struggle with condemnation. And she had continual thoughts uh, toward the incident, even though it was years removed from her seeing me. And she had a mindset of trying to pay for what she did. This precious girl, words cannot convey the pain that she conveyed. Her speech uh, displayed a, a lack of confidence. She was somebody that was tremendously gifted. She had a love for God. She was even being used greatly by God. But yet this incident of sin so devastated her that it caused her to walk not only beneath her dignity as a child of God, but caused her to walk in a way that made her so vulnerable to the enemy that she was constantly being bombarded in a way that really caused her to enter into a place of profound uh, both depression and oppression. If you're struggling with condemnation from sexual sin and you're listening to my voice right now, you know the hurt, you know the pain. And I'm here to tell you something. That pain and, and, and sometimes it's almost like it's residual. You just can't get out of it. God understands where you're at. Now, I'm giving examples of condemnation. We're going to enter into the provision. I'll never uh, get ministering uh, to a police officer uh, a number of years ago. And this police officer was highly regarded. 
and his community. He, he worked in an urban area. He actually had received medals of commendation for bravery and uh, because of his uh, interacting in a way that really where he risked his life. Uh, one time while he was uh, carrying out his duties as an officer on the street, he entered into sexual sin. He was a married man. When I was asked to counsel him, he, he, he couldn't hold a cup of water. His hands shook. His eyes were, were constantly tearing. He was in a state of inability. These were the effects of condemnation. Another person I think of, and I could literally give you hundreds and hundreds of scenarios, but I'm trying to get across to you just what condemnation is, exemplifying the definition through these examples, these scenarios. I never forget uh, a man in, uh, in an area that I used to live in. He uh, was a minister of great esteem, had a thriving church, wonderful wife and uh, five wonderful children. And uh, I knew him not real well, but I, I esteemed him just because of what I did know. And this man entered into sexual sin. He entered into a place where uh, he lived with uh, a certain woman for uh, about six weeks, came to his senses, so to speak, and, and then just said, I I'll never pastor again. Well, I counseled his wife. I, I counseled each of his five children. They were devastated, but yet they were empathetic to the point where they not only were in a place of forgiveness, but they were in a place where they saw the heart of their dad to the point where they could disassociate his action from his heart. And you see, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that's a key. That really is a key. And this man went, went through counseling himself. Now, I counseled his wife and his children, but he went through counseling under the auspices of the presbytery that, that, he was in, that his church was in. And, and, and after about a year and a half, this man was not only repentant, this man was restored. There's a difference between repentance and restoration. But this man had repented and he was restored. And I, along with his wife and children, said you need to enter into the pastor again. And his congregation was so loving, so forgiving, so empathetic. And they said, we need you to come back. You, 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 you were our shepherd. You, you, you shepherded this flock for over 30 years. We love you. We forgive you. We believe you. That you've repented. We believe in you. And this man said, I just can't. I just can't. And, and I did get to speak to him. And I said, sir, I said, what do you mean you can't? He said, well, I just can't. He said, because of what I did. I said, sir, it's not a matter of can't. It's, not, it's a matter of won't. Because God says you can. I said, see, you're suffering from condemnation from the enemy. Not a mindset that comes from the Father. Condemnation is something that will eat away at you. It is some, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if there's anything more oppressive than condemnation because it causes you to be in a state of pain that is so contrary to the Father's heart. Let me give some other examples. 
one who has hurt another. The apostle Paul, of course, was formerly named Saul. And we know from the Bible that he was responsible for the death, for the murder of Stephen, the first martyr of the church and the book of Acts as the book of Acts records. We know that prior to his conversion, he put both women and children into prison, some of them dying during their incarceration. He was a man of great hurt. He was a man uh, who was intent to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. He was somebody who had entered into a place of profound hurtfulness in the context of his own gain religiously. This man had hurt so many being involved even in murder. But God, but God saw somebody else as he was converted and entered into a place not only of being free from condemnation, but entering into a destiny that the devil thought that had been negated by his acts. We're going to talk about how this uh, transformation uh, unfolded. And it is important to understand, significant to understand that the Apostle Paul is the man that God Almighty chose in his sovereignty to convey to us that there is now no condemnation, no degradation, no oppression, no, no oh, glory to God, no necessity to serve a sentence that's already been paid. God used this man who was a murderer. God used this man who put women and children into prison. God used this man to pen this very verse, glory to God. This man, to pen this very verse, glory to Jesus. I, I think of the many women that I counseled that have had abortions. So many of them under the, the weight of profound condemnation. I, I, someone who has abandoned their child due to a drug addiction, due to running away, Somebody who has molested a child. You say, how can that person be set free? How can they be free from condemnation? We're going to see how. Somebody that entered into taking a life of another because they were driving under the influence. Somebody feeling a false guilt because they survived a fire. And their brother and sister did not. They survived a battle in Vietnam or Iraq or Afghanistan or Korea. Mm. One who has hurt themselves. Whether through drug addiction. Maybe they were in an, action, an accident through uh, driving under the influence. Perhaps they, they kept themselves to the point where they disabled themselves. God wants us to understand that in all these scenarios where condemnation is so profound, there is provision. Glory to God. Now, again, before I look at the roots of condemnation, I want to share the, the balance. There is balance in everything. And we're going to look at this specifically when we talk about how to accurately perceive ourselves, judge ourselves, accurately perceive others. But I just want you to say this. Of course, there is a balance. 
Uh, there is always a need for repentance. Luke 13, 3, Luke 13, 5 says there has to be repentance in order for forgiveness to come. But God wants us to understand that God does not bring about repentance through condemnation. He brings about repentance according to Romans 2 through his goodness. And according to John 16, 7 to 11, through the preciousness of his conviction. Glory to God. All right, the roots, what are the roots of condemnation? I want you to listen intently as we go over these roots because they will be of great help to you as an individual and also to those that you will endeavor to, to counsel, to help be uh, relieved from the, the weight of condemnation because I guarantee you this, you see, the Bible says in Matthew 10, 7, freely you receive, freely give. As you enter in all oh, to receiving the freedom from condemnation, you're going to want to give, hallelujah, uh, this same freedom. And God's going to use you in it. So I want you to listen intently and just ask the Holy Spirit to show you which one of these apply to you. And then familiarize yourself with them so you can help those, praise God, that you will come in contact with through a divine appointment. The number one, uh, I'm going to give you 10 roots of how condemnation manifests. And again, God is a God that gets to the root. When he cursed the fig tree, he cursed the root. And the fig tree itself died. A lot of times we deal with, with manifestations rather than the root. Somebody says, I'm anger. I, I'm angry. Help me get over the anger. Well, usually there's a bit of rooterness that has a, a, a root of bitterness that has preceded the anger. So to get rid of the anger, you have to get to the root of the bitterness. You see, someone says, well, I'm just unassertive. I, I know when I was working uh, on my master's degree that I was involved in something called uh, assertiveness counseling. Uh, a man by the name of uh, Dr. Bill Glasser uh, uh, coined that expression. And, and we would teach people uh, through different things of how to be assertive through the uh, different uh, techniques. But you see, God wants you to get to the root. He just doesn't want you to be able to come up with uh, an outward uh, behavior that's changed. He wants you to change you from the inside out. Amen? So these are the 10 roots of condemnation. Uh, the number one root, the first one that we will discuss, is that of religion. You see, religion says that one has the need to pay for their own sins through a need to be punished or perfect. Oh, my. And you know, I'll be honest with you. It sounds logical to the natural mind. But what you have to understand is that the natural mind is not how God works. God works through his word. God works through the spirit of man, through the heart of man. You see, the Bible says there's a way that looks right on the man, but its way is death. All the religions of the earth are trying to be accepted by God through their works, except true Christianity. True Christianity says you cannot be accepted by your works no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you punish yourself, no matter how much you try to perfect yourself. The only way that you can be accepted by God is through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look into 
oh my, just the glory of that and uh, the gospel grace and elaborate on it. It's exciting. But you see, when you have this mindset, you're susceptible to condemnation because whenever you don't feel that you've suffered enough, when you do not feel like you perfected yourself enough, then you're going to feel uncovered. Can I tell you something? Works of the flesh can seem to cover you in the natural. They may cover you to the point where you look righteous before other people, before people in the church. But I'm here to tell you something. Jesus Christ did not come to cover your sin because if your sin is covered, it's still there. If a convict can cover his steps, he may not be arrested, but he is still a convict. Jesus Christ did not come to cover the sins of mankind. He came to take them away. Glory to God. So the number one root, the first root that we want to share on is that of religion. The mindset of taking the punishment for your own sin through punishing yourself or feeling like God is punishing you through calamity or sickness or heartache, grief and sorrow, or trying to perfect yourself to the place that it makes up for your sinfulness, even the acts that you may have committed. The second route is a mindset that says, you know what? I'm always going to be condemned because God is a God of condemnation. He is a God of vengeance. He's a God that's just looking for a reason to put me down. I mean, the first time you miss it, man, you're going to be judged. The first time that you, you hurt somebody, you're going to be hurt double or triple. Many have this mindset. But my friend, there's nothing that could be further from the truth. Because the Bible says in John chapter 3, Verses 17 and 18. Let's look at these scriptures. John 3, 17 and 18. They're, they're just awesome scriptures. Most of us know the scriptures of John 3, 16. That says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But a lot of us have never really, really read John 3, 17 and 18. And these verses really bring John 3, 16, uh, glory to God, into context. Oh, glory to God. Just so, uh, the verses are just so glorious. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. There's just so much here. Uh, glory to God. I'm, I'm going to read from the, the, the King James Version. It says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn it, but that he came that the world would be saved through him. It says that he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So we do see the reality that there is condemnation to those who have refused to receive the provision for condemnation. But that God is not a God of condemnation, but a God of both grace and mercy. Our third root is that of environment. Relating to how we, the environment that we grew up in. Many, many people, and unfortunately, many in, in Christian homes, 
have, have, have really been punished severely, have literally suffered uh, consequences for wrong behavior that was so out of line that it really causes really the children just not even to want to, to walk with Jesus Christ because they associate the unfair punishment with who Jesus is. I have a, a good friend who is has a very seemly ministry. Uh, and I won't say his name because many may know it. But he was sharing with me that growing up, he, he grew up uh, amidst an environment that was not Christian. And as a little boy of about, about four and a half, five years old, he was somebody that was hovering around the stove too closely, just too close to the, to the stove. And his father told him, he said, son, get away from the stove. He, he yelled at him, screamed at him. And then my friend got too close to the stove again. And his dad took his hand and put his hand on a hot stove in his mind to teach him a lesson. Well, unfortunately, this did the only thing it taught him. The only thing it did was imprint him with a severity of consequences that did not fit the behavior. But can you imagine this man growing up? He was not only angry at his father, but angry at God associating his father's behavior with God. This man associated wrong behavior with severe punishment. And you see so many, when they enter in to doing something wrong, they expect to be hurt. They expect to be condemned. They do not expect this condemnation to even leave during this life. For they feel that it is the right punishment according to their upbringing of that which has been done. The, the fourth route I want to look at involves so many that, that I come in contact with. And it's the root of a sensitive heart. Now, you might say, what does a sensitive heart, a good heart, a godly heart, how can that be correlated with condemnation? Well, beloved, I want you to see this. The more your heart is sensitive to God, the more you know that you've hurt God when you've done something wrong. So many times somebody struggles with false guilt not because they are estranged from God, but because of their closeness with God. I'm going to say that again. Many times, a precious individual, one who loves God, will struggle with condemnation in the context of false guilt, not because of their estrangement from God and their rebellion, but because of their closeness to God and their desire to be obedient. You see, so often when somebody knows the heart of God, they know that they've grieved God, they know that they've hurt God, they enter into a place of saying, I've hurt him so much. And because I see his hurt, I hurt. And that hurt seems to be so residual, I just can't get away from it. And they continue to look at what their sin has done to the heart of God and the context of it hurting him, which it does, and then they walk and continue to hurt themselves rather than seeing the forgiveness of God, the power of God, the love of God 
that would free them from the condemnation that they're incurring. I want to emphasize this again because so many people fall under this category. Some of the strongest Christians I know, some of the most devout believers that I've ever encountered are those who struggle with condemnation in this context. At the end of our lesson today, I want to share with you a testimony that I believe that you'll never forget about a man, a missionary, I mean a powerful man of God who, who, who just struggled with receiving from God because of condemnation. When the last thing on earth he should have been under was condemnation. All right, our fifth root is in the area of self-worth. Many people get identity from a martyrdom mindset. Now, I need to elaborate on that so you know what I understand. There are many people, especially those of a religious persuasion, who literally glory in suffering, even when that suffering is not of God, something God has not ordained. So they will condemn themselves almost unmercifully. I know of people that literally, in the country of Mexico, friends of mine are missionaries there. They said that there are women there that they literally, on their knees, crawled to church over two miles. They enter into the church building with knees bloodied because they are trying to make up to atone for the sinfulness that they know that is within them. But unfortunately, it's not just deception. It's really arrogance in that they are trying to enter in to establishing an identity in their martyrdom mindset when in reality, the only way we enter into a true identity is through receiving what Jesus Christ has done for us. A martyrdom mindset that is contrary to the truth of God's word. The sixth root is people that have been put down so much, they see degradation of condemnation, the oppression of condemnation. They see it as part and parcel of who they are. There are people that walk with their heads down because they were told since they were three years old that they were behind, that they were not as good as somebody else, that they couldn't function as well as somebody else. You know, as an educator, as somebody that's been a, a, a teacher, a principal, a school board member, I, I, you know, education is a passion of mine. And I see so many people left out in the cold because they don't measure up because of a certain test. I'm here to tell you something. Just because you don't measure up on a certain test doesn't mean that you don't measure up. I was talking with someone in my own community a while ago. And they were a self-made millionaire. And he said, you know, I never got past sixth grade. They told me that I was inept, unable, no good. I was put down. I was called retarded. I was called unable. I was called not proficient. I was called everything you could think of. And he said, to this day, even though I'm a millionaire, because of an invention that he made in the context of, uh, of the uh, making of honey, through, 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 uh, through bees, honeybees, he said, I still have a difficult time not looking at myself according to who they said I was. Mm. Number seven, perceiving failing as you being a failure. 
I'm going to say it again. Number seven, perceiving failing as you being a failure. Can I tell you something? One of the ways that you enter into success is through failure. Abraham Lincoln lost almost every election he, he ran in until he ran for president. There will be times where you fail. There will be times where you fail God. It's not a bad confession. It's truth in our humanness. There will be times that you fail God. There will be times that you fail those you love. There will be times that you fail yourself. But that does not make you a failure. You see, if you see yourself as a failure, condemnation will be part of the mindset that you embraced through seeing yourself in a way that God doesn't see you. I tell you, the Bible says in Proverbs that a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up. I look at the apostles and I, I get great solace from these men because they were just like you and me. I, one of my favorite uh, verses is in Matthew 28. Uh, the Bible says it's in the context of the Great Commission. The Bible says that, after, that right before Jesus gave them the Great Commission, what is referred to as the Great Commission about going into the, all the earth and, and, and making disciples of all men. The Bible said right before he shared this and ascended into heaven that the apostles were looking at him and the Bible says that some doubted. I'm so glad that God was so gracious and merciful not to give their names. It says some doubted. Can you, come on. 40 days, the resurrected Christ is with you. You walk with the man, the God man, Christ himself for three and a half years. Now he's with you over a 40 day period, appearing unto you in an awesome open fashion. He's embracing you. He's teaching you. You're beholding his glory. And right before he's going to give you the great commission, Right before he's going to send up the heaven to the Father's right hand, you're, you're sitting there and, and, you, and you elbow the guy beside you and say, is that really him? You know, God did not. <laughs> God, I'm so glad it wasn't me. I, 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 tell you, I would have excluded them as quick as I, I knew who they were and said, man, you're going down to the minor apostle league. You know, these guys here, these, these eight that are left, that did not, they're in the majors. You're now in the minors. And I hope that you can work yourself up. But God didn't do that. He smiled, gave them the great commission, making himself vulnerable to these very men who are doubting him as he's speaking and ascended, believing in them rather than condemning them. Glory to God. Just because you failed, even if you failed over and over again, does not make you a failure and does not make you a person that is condemned. All right. Number eight. Is the doctrine of predestination. Now, there are many people that are, that, are, that are great Christians who love God, who believe in this. But to me, it's one of the most aberrant uh, doctrines ever, I believe, that the devil's ever come up with. Saying that God actually hates people. And, and has ordained some for destruction. Even eternal damnation. Even those who would want to be saved. And others who don't want to be saved. Perhaps that he, he's ordained them for eternal life. And those are the ones who enter in. I, I've talked to so many people. That have struggled with this. Because of being in churches of this persuasion. And I always tell them. And not to put down the church. Not, not to condemn them. But to say. Just please leave. Really leave. And But can you imagine when you know. Uh, you're going to class. You're a college student. And, and, you know, you, you worked on the paper all night long and it falls in the mud and it's just no good. 
And the devil says, you're not chosen. Or calamity seems to come your way or sickness or disease. And the devil says, you're not chosen. You're condemned. You're one that God has chosen to condemn. I'll tell you, sometimes I feel condemned, but I know that I'm not. Sometimes I don't feel chosen, but I know that I am. Sometimes I don't feel victorious, but I walk in victory. Sometimes I don't feel like everything's going to go my way, but I know that God says he will cause me always to triumph in Christ. I'm here to tell you something. God has given you a destiny to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the only predestination that you need to set your mind to. Number nine, calamity. Somebody has something bad happen to them. Their parents split up. Their friends struck by lightning on a sunny day. And I think, you know what? I've had to done something wrong. And the devil will be right there to tell you that somehow you're responsible for your parents splitting up. You're responsible for th- what happened here or there. When you absolutely have nothing to do with it. You've been sexually abused and you're told. Yet you had something to do with eliciting the perpetrator. I'm here to tell you something. It's nothing but a lie. Lastly, your emotions sometimes and my emotions can be so strong. They can lend themselves to feeling so depressed. Feeling in sync with the condemnation that the enemy tries to bring. All of these roots are very real. They predispose us under condemnation. But predisposition does not mean that you have to walk in what you're predisposed to. So what is predisposition? It means you're, you're more apt to go this certain way because of some things that are that are involved in your makeup, whether it's spiritually, environmentally, etc. But I'm here to tell you something. Predisposition can be negated by a decision. And God's going to enable you to make that decision today. Glory to God. What is the provision? Let's look at the provision for the remainder of our time. I'm so excited about this. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. If you're watching this by video and you you see my Bible, you can see that my Bible, Romans 8, I can hardly read it because I, I get so excited. I'm very visual. So every time I, I tell you, I get excited about something in Romans 8, I put it in red and then I put it in blue and then I put it in yellow and green and black and orange and now I can hardly read it. But I tell you what, I know that it's good. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of the spirit, the law of sin and death. Mm. Now, I want you to see a few things. First of all, I want you to see that Romans 8 obviously follows Romans 7. Notice that Romans 8, 1 starts out with the words, therefore. When you see the word, therefore, ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, the therefore, in this case, is there because of Romans 7. See, Romans 7 is a chapter of condemnation. It's the chapter of the religious man. It's the chapter of a man trying to prove himself before God. It's a chapter that exemplifies a mindset of a man trying to pull himself up by his own bootstraps, trying to make it right by his own works, a man trying to perfect himself just to give it all, but to no avail and accordingly entering into both frustration and condemnation. And God says, therefore, 
when you know that you now can't do it on your own? Have some of you found that out? That it's not about you, it's about him. Glory to God. You've come to the end of yourself. I tell you, that, that, that's the greatest thing that can ever happen. You tried so hard. You looked so good. But on the inside, you know that you fell short of the glory of God. You know you've changed, exchanged the glory of God, which is sin. And God says, therefore, I want you to know something. In Christ Jesus, because of Christ Jesus, right now, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, the Romans 7 man, but walk after the Spirit, the one who now resides in you, that gives you divine ability, the greater one, through the blood of Jesus Christ. For the law, Mm, glory to God of the spirit of life. What is the law of the spirit of life? It's a life without condemnation. It's a life abundant. It's a life where you win because you realize you couldn't give yourself the victory. So God is now giving you the victory. Hallelujah. Not because of what you do, but because of what his son did. It's a life that says, I can't live it myself. But God in me can live it through me. Many times someone comes to me and they said, you know what? I don't want to enter into Christianity like you see it because I don't want to, I don't want Jesus to be a crutch. Can I tell you something? Jesus Christ is not a crutch. He is your legs. He is your arms. He is your mind. He is your righteousness. He is your everything. God didn't come to be your crutch. He came to be your life. There's now no condemnation. Glory to God. Now. Let's look at the specifics of why. Oh, glory to God. I have a book in front of me, Christianity Empowered. It's a book that I wrote about 10 years ago and God's blessed it. It deals with uh, a number of issues. One of them includes uh, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. I just want to, oh my, page 143, it shares some verses. It says in Matthew 26, 37, that prior to the cross, Jesus took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And he said unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. The Amplified says this, that Jesus said, I am almost dying of sorrow. My soul is very sad and deeply depressed. Stay here and keep watch with me. Can I say, you need to understand something. Jesus Christ came so close to dying before he went to die for you. He almost died of sorrow and grief and depression and oppression. Just thinking about the price he had to pay. Now, I want you to see something. If just thinking about the price he had to pay for you and me to free us from condemnation almost killed him. What did the very act of entering in to taking upon him our grief and sorrow actually do to him? Hebrews 5, 7 says he screamed and cried out with loud excruciating screams in Gethsemane. 
because of the impending hurt he would incur. Mark 14, 33 in the Amplified says, and he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be struck with terror and amazement and deeply troubled and depressed. What would make somebody almost die just thinking about the death that they had to die for you and me? It had to be the profoundness of that death. Beloved, the scriptures share a principle that is so powerful. The scriptures of Leviticus 16, Numbers 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Psalm 22, 1. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this. He who knew no sin, he who knew no grief, he who knew no sorrow, he who knew no condemnation, became sin, entered into grief and sorrow and condemnation that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. The book of Isaiah chapter 53, so powerful. I I could share so much on this and I don't have time in our initial session, but I I want you to see something. I want you to see that the reason that you and I are freed from condemnation is because condemnation was fully taken away through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, the Bible says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his straps we were healed. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. Mm. And who should declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. Jesus. But it says the Lord was pleased to bruise him. To put him to grief. As an offering. For our sins and shortcomings. Our griefs and our sorrows. My friend. Jesus Christ endured both your griefs and your sorrows. Condemnation is a primary grief and sorrow. Psalm 22.1 says this, that when Jesus Christ was on the cross, somehow he entered in to experiencing the shame, the guilt, the separation, the condemnation, And when he did, he was simply filled, inundated with our griefs and sorrows to the point that where Father God who cannot look at sin or grief or condemnation or sorrow looked at him and had to turn his head because his son was no longer his son in the context of what he had become. 
but was like you and me. Sin-ridden, grief-stricken, sick, condemned, rejected. My friend, Jesus Christ did not come to cover you up. He came to set you free. And because of what he did, you and I are free from condemnation. He bore your condemnation. He bore your guilt. He bore your shame. You say, I'm ashamed for what I did. I I feel guilty every day. My friend, you're not only forgiven, Your shame and guilt has been taken away and has literally been forgotten by God. The Bible says that God put your sins in the sea of forgetfulness. Corrie ten Boom, whom many have heard of, she was somebody that was in a concentration camp. She was tortured. She was belittled, degraded. And after she was freed supernaturally, she came face to face to one of the guards that did this to her. And she forgave. And they said, how could you forgive this man that was responsible for the death of your sister that did this to you? And she said, freely, I've been given. Freely, I've received. So freely, I can forgive. My friend, you really are free in the sight of God. Only God knows the finality of the cross. Only God knows the degree he suffered that you might be free from condemnation and I. My friend, freedom from condemnation is not something that is a fringe benefit of Calvary. It is one of the primary reasons he became grief-stricken and died the death that he died. Now, in John chapter 1, the Bible shares with us that we have received from Jesus Christ grace for grace. You see, there are two ways that we are freed from condemnation. One is, and first and foremost, is through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, but also through his life. The Bible says in the book of John chapter 1 that we have all received, oh, this is so glorious. Oh, so glorious. Oh, my. Oh, glory to God. John chapter 1. Oh, hallelujah. And verse 17. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. I'm sorry, verse 16. It says, all of us, now that includes you, because you're part of us. (laughs) All of us have received of his fullness grace for grace. Now we know that we're saved by grace because of the redemptive work of Calvary. But I want you to understand that we are also graced, freed from condemnation because of every step that Jesus Christ took. Please listen to me. Every time Jesus overcame God said, I'm going to reckon that unto you. But you say, I didn't overcome. No. 
See, God says, I'm going to enable you to walk in his footsteps because of the footsteps that he walked in. I need you to understand that Jesus Christ endured pain. The Bible says he learned obedience by the things he suffered. You say Jesus suffered on the earth emphatically. The Bible says he learned obedience by the things he did suffer. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says that we have a high priest that can relate to everything that we go through, including condemnation, because of that which he went through. Therefore, he is a sympathetic high priest. Glory to Jesus. Let me share something with you that I, I, I don't think you've ever heard. Because so many times, we think the Bible's offensive. There are whole denominations trying to take the word blood out of the Bible. Because they think it is offensive and, and not uh, politically correct or socially correct. They think it's barbaric. My friend, you take the word blood out of the Bible, you throw your Bible away. I'm going to share something with you that I don't think you've ever heard. I want you to understand something. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be condemned, even unjustly. Some of you say, you know what? I, I, I've been condemned when I didn't even do anything. Listen to this. When Jesus went into his hometown, as shared in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 19, and Mark chapter 6. Oh, oh let's go. Oh, Jesus. I, I, my time's running out, but I, I need you to see this. Mark chapter 6. Jesus goes into his hometown. And he, as is his custom, he, he stands up to read. And they don't receive anything he says. And they say to themselves, is not this the, the carpenter, the son of Mary? The brother of James and Jose and Jude? Yes, Mary had other children. It doesn't mean she wasn't awesome, but certainly her and Joseph had other children. James is a half-brother of Jesus. He wrote the book of James. He became one of the chief apostles in the church after Jesus resurrected. And he was a man that hated Jesus when Jesus was on the earth, as recorded by the scripture. Even tried to get him killed by going to a feast where he knew that they were hunting for him, to kill him. Jude wrote the book of Jude. And it says, I, 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 are not his sisters here with us? And it says they were offended at him. They didn't receive him. They didn't honor him. I wish there's something with you that's going to blow. If you're religious, it's going to blow you out of the water. This has changed my life. My friend, when you study the Bible, you understand that the Jews always judged by outward appearance. Jesus rebuked them for this in John 7, 24. In fact, with Esau and Jacob, because Esau came out of their womb first. They said, he is the king, the leader. And God said, no, Jacob is. Do not judge by outward appearance. He said, Esau, I, I, Jacob, I love Esau, I hate it. And people actually take this verse and say that God hates people. His hate was not in the context of their personage. It was in the context of calling. Just like when God tells you to hate your father and mother in the scripture, doesn't mean it tells you to hate their personage. It means he hates it if you put them first. He hated it when they put Esau first. 
when it was his destiny, his sovereignty to put Jacob first. But the Jews, in fact, Paul had to rebuke Timothy and say, don't let people get involved in all these genealogies. Because you see what the Jews would do, they would trace the bloodline. And if your great-grandfather had sin in his life, you couldn't be a Pharisee. They would trace your bloodline. That's why they said Nazareth is no good. That's why they said Samaria is no good. And where was Jesus from? Listen to me. If you ever heard something, hear this. Jesus Christ came from a small town. Mary and Joseph, they were from a very small town. Everybody there knew that Jesus Christ was born in their eyes because they didn't understand he was the Messiah. Mark 6 tells you this. In their eyes, he was born as illegitimate. He was not legitimate to the Pharisees. He was not legitimate to the, uh, to the scribes. He was not legitimate to the Sadducees. He was not legitimate to his hometown. Why? Because he was born out of wedlock in their eyes. Everybody knew. And they didn't receive him in his hometown. My friend, I'm here to tell you something. I'm saying this to say this. Jesus was condemned without cause. He was judged without cause. And you and I who are rightly condemned by our sinfulness, by acts that we should never have committed, are freed because he was condemned unjustly, because he bore our condemnation on the cross, both for redemption and grace for grace. You and I are free in the eyes of Jesus Christ, in the eyes of God Almighty. You will never be more pure. You will never be more free. You will never be seen as more righteous. You will never be seen as more glorious. You will never be seen as more precious and beautiful to God because you are seen through the person both the redemptive work and the life of Jesus Christ the devil says look at her yeah she did it three years ago but it was so despicable look at her now don't you see her the same way she was when she committed the act look at him look what he did one time I was, I wasn't even praying. I was just minding my own business and I had a vision. I saw the devil coming against the, uh, the apostle Paul. I heard the devil say, how can you put this man Saul, a murderer, one who imprisoned children and, and, and women and destroyed their lives and killed them? How can you make him the head of your church? How can you write half the New Testament through him? This man saw, this man saw, this man saw. And I saw Jesus turn to him and say, who is this man Saul? The head of my church is a man named Paul. My friend Jesus Christ not only does not condemn you, he not only is not in agreement with your condemning yourself, he looks at you and says, precious. He looks at you and says, clean, even as my only begotten son is clean. I'm going to say that again. God Almighty 
sees you according to your spirit, which he has made righteous. He does not look at you as unclean. He does not look at you as unrighteous. For through the precious blood of his son, through him who knew no sin becoming sin, taking your condemnation, he has made you the righteousness of his son. He not only sees you as okay, He's so much more so. Sees you as he sees his only begotten son. You being freed through him, not being the righteousness of God in him. Now, if some of you are hearing for this first time, I understand. This is like, this might, is might blowing your mind, but receive it, man. It is, there's nothing like it. There's no more Saul. There's just Paul. It's no more you. It's Christ. Glory to God. And if you've heard this and you say, I know but, throw away the buts and say, Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the gospel. My time's running out in this session, but in Zechariah 3, we see a high priest that had sinned greatly. We see another man in the context of his sin. Just these men were just out of sync. And the devil was condemning them. And God says, man, I see them as righteous because the blood of my son that's going to be shed. Put a turban on their head. Put garments of righteousness on them. Because in my eyes, they're free. Beloved, God wants your eyes to see what his eyes see. He's coming to you in this teaching so your mind could line up with his mind. So his eyes can become your eyes. The Bible says this. It doesn't matter who says what about you. Even your own soul, your own emotions. If God's for you. If God says you're not condemned. You're not condemned. You're not condemned. There's so much on my heart to share. I I just need to share it. I know times at a premium, but I just need to share it. I just need to share it. Let me share some examples. I shared from Saul to Paul. I think of a woman. I have her book right here. I carry it with me. She's impacted my life so much. Catherine Coleman, one of the greatest uh, healing evangelists that uh, the world's ever known. My life was touched by her ministry in an emphatic way. My wife received a great healing under her ministry before she went to be with the Lord. And you know, this woman, was involved in an adulterous affair. Well, she had, at a young age, uh, was pastoring one of the largest churches in, in, the, in the world at that time in Denver, Colorado. She entered into sin, in, in an adulterous affair. And she said, I will never minister again for God. Never. I'm so unworthy. But God came to her. God came to her. And began to do miracles through her. You know why he did miracles through her? 
because she had such an appreciation for the blood of Jesus Christ. There's so much in my heart. I think of a missionary. A missionary that served God, loved God, was used greatly by God. And God appeared to him in a vision. He had cancer at the time and God appeared to him in a vision and said, I, I, I want to heal you. And it was literally putting his hand, his hand towards this precious missionary, this precious man of God. And he reared back and said, no, I'm too unworthy to receive. See, in his mind, he was being humble, but in reality, he was being prideful. Because anytime you say something different than what God says, even if it sounds religious, like you're going to take a vow of poverty or, or this or that. If it's contrary to God, it's really pride. And the man died. Did he go to heaven? Of course. But you see, condemnation robbed him of destiny. All of us, all of us have times where the enemy comes in and we don't feel worthy. We don't look worthy. We don't, our actions, we're, we're, we're messing up. And God says, I love you anyways. I see your heart. See, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 20, 1 John 3, 20 and 21, if your heart condemns us not, we're going to look into this in another session uh, more emphatically, but it says if your heart doesn't condemn you, you have confidence towards God. Sometimes you can mess up in your flesh and have a, a, heart, a heart of gold. I never forget, I was up at uh, a certain church. I believe it was in New York, and I, I was, man, I had a couple hours before the meeting, and I don't know why, but I, I just had a, a little Debbie attack. And what I mean by that, these little Debbies are these little cookies. And I mean, I just, I didn't eat just one or two. I ate over a dozen. I ate 15, 18 of them. I don't know what went on. And it, every time I go to minister, the devil always says you're not worthy. You didn't pray enough. You didn't read the Bible enough. You didn't pray in the spirit enough. And this time, and that, I just rebuke it in Jesus' name, but this time the devil said, how can you expect the power of God to flow through you into bodies filled with cancer under great miracles when you didn't even have enough self-control to stop eating that 15th little Debbie? And I thought to myself, you know what? He does have a case here. <laughs> And the Lord said, it's not about what you ate or didn't eat. It's not about this. It's about me. And God moved in a dramatic fashion. In fact, I believe I was up in uh, New York, uh, I guess connected in New York between, uh, 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 oh, Jesus, I think halfway between New York City and Boston. And I was sure that and a lady just put the altar before I went to preach the next service, just covered it with little Debbie's because she said, I want Jesus. And I know when your eyes are off yourself, you're not in condemnation, but trusting in Jesus, Jesus will show up. It's time to let God be God. Let me share two more things with you. And then let me pray with you if you, if you let me. I think about Rahab. In Joshua chapter 2, we read about her. She was a woman who was a prostitute. Joshua sent out two spies. He learned from prior experience. 
He went out. Him and Caleb were the only two that came back with a good report. So he said, hey, if we're only going to have two come back with a good report, why don't we just send two out? <laughs> and they ran in. They, they came across the path of a woman that was a prostitute. Her prostitution business was on the wall. She, and her name was Rahab. And she said, you know, I believe in this God that you serve. I fear this God. I believe in this God. I want to know this God. So when you come and destroy and take over this area, please have mercy on me. And God did. God not only had mercy on her, he raised her up. She married into the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself. She married a man who was royalty. And Jesus himself came through her bloodline as shared in the genealogy of the Gospels. She's a woman that said, I will not be judged by what I was, but I will enter into destiny because of who I am. She was a woman that put off the cloak of condemnation and entered in to the courts of the king. The Lord Jesus Christ himself coming through her lineage. As we close today, I sense Jesus' heart going out to you. You say, I still feel condemned. I hurt. I'm here to say today, put it off. No more. I said I was going to share two things. Here's the second. In Isaiah 11, I don't, I don't have time to turn there, but in Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 4, it talks about the sevenfold spirit that was on Jesus Christ. Please listen to me. It talks about the spirit of God. That's, the, that's first, the Holy Spirit himself. I can't take the condemnation from you, but the Holy Spirit can. The one who raised Jesus from the dead can get you to a place that just like Bartimaeus, who, whose name was the son of discouragement, took off the beggar's cloak and was healed. You can, can cause you to take off the condemnation cloak and be free. Only he can do it. But the Bible goes on to say that there's a spirit of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Knowledge is that there is now no condemnation. Understanding is entering into why God did what he did. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. God loved you so much. He could not take you enduring condemnation. So he took it for you. He could not endure you enduring it, so he endured it. And now you're free. Knowledge is knowing, Romans 8.1. Understanding brings you into the heart of the Father. And wisdom is saying yes to it. The other parts of the sevenfold spirit are the spirit of counsel. That's what you're receiving now. The spirit of might. That's the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he's telling you to do. And then the fear of the Lord. Not fearing that it'll hurt you, but just being in awe of his awesomeness. Listen to me. Don't look to your emotions. Don't look to what you did. Don't look to what people say or have said. Look to the heart of God. 
And right now, lift up your hands, please, in the name of Jesus, lift up your hands. And say, Father, through your heart, through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, even grace for grace, cause me right now through the spirit of life to be free from the heaviness of the cloak. Take the cloak from me now. I throw it off in Jesus' name. Say this now. I throw the cloak of condemnation off now in Jesus' name. And I receive myself as I am in your sight. Righteous, free, beautiful, precious, even as one who is not only forgiven, but whose act is forgotten. Say this with me. I am now seen by the Father as Jesus Christ is seen because he who knew no sin, no condemnation, became condemned for me and I am now the righteousness of who he is. I love you so much. God loves you so much more. I receive your sensing of freedom. Thank God for it. Continue to meditate on the scriptures of Romans 8 and 1 and worship Jesus Christ. For he not only has given you eternal life, he has set you free from condemnation on the earth forever.